1: All right, we're back with you, and Michael Shipp, of course, is here in the uh, studio with us, also joining us, and now from Washington, D.C., is uh, Congressman French Hill. Let's bring him up, and uh, Congressman, thanks for joining us today and giving us a few uh, minutes. I I told everybody you were joining us. Uh, I don't uh, believe that I told them that the reason we brought you on is you knew, uh, you know, P- former president george bush pretty well and uh I did. met him met him early on and in, in your career and uh, talk a little bit about that
2: yeah i met george bush back in 1979 i was a brand new college graduate and i'd gotten a job with a in a training program at a company in dallas texas and so that's where i was working at the time and uh, i was invited to participate in a young professionals group, a picnic, to meet George Bush, who mm-hmm. people had said, well, he may run for president in 1980. And of course, I didn't know him or know anything about him. And I went and enjoyed uh, meeting him. And then our paths would cross over the next 10 years several times. When I, years later, like four years later, I moved to Washington, D.C., completely unrelated to george bush to take a position on the senate banking committee staff to work for two years and he was vice president by this time working for and with president reagan and you know i got to know mr and mrs bush uh, during that period of time and then lo and behold in 1989 so 10 years after i first met him he offered me the job to come to washington dc to be deputy assistant secretary of the treasury and then later come on his white house staff to run economic policy issues there
1: what are some of the important things that you learned from the president we've heard so much here recently uh from people talking about uh, maybe the bush that we didn't see before the tv cameras and and things of that nature what were what were for better you know way of expressing well, the better? words <clears throat> words of wisdom
2: well, I'd say, first of all, George Bush was a very, very funny guy. He had sort of a sit around the uh wardroom in the on a navy ship sense of humor. <laughs> and uh he could he could uh he loved people telling jokes and he liked to tell a few jokes. And uh so I would say number one is that George Bush had a great sense of humor. That's something you got to have in politics or business. Mm-hmm. He had that. And I also think his personal diplomacy is something that we can all learn from. I certainly learned from it and tried to apply it all during my business career and and in my political career now. And what I mean by that is knowing what your uh, folks that work for you are working on, what do they need, encourage them, thank them, uh, be uplifting to them, your team, but also the people you're negotiating with, whether it's a foreign leader or somebody up on Capitol Hill what are the things they're looking to accomplish so that you know how to have a better negotiation? And so he would get to know people personally. He would drop them notes. He would invite them to go fishing with him. Uh, That's the kind of guy he was. So I think that personal approach was a master stroke for Bush. And then secondly, he had a terrific sense of humor.
1: All right, You know, as I've been watching what's going on here, here's what bothers me, uh, uh, Congressman. The networks and The New York Times and others were after him like a scalded dog uh, when he was uh, vice president, when he was president of the United States. And now they have nothing but wonderful, flowery words and how great he was and this and that. And it, it really, that hypocrisy bothers me. Does it not bother you? Oh, big time! And you know, you and I, you and I have followed politics and been involved
2: in the in the public process for a long time, and we're similar uh, in our outlooks. And I'll tell you, I can I can tell you chapter and verse on that hypocrisy. Uh, they called George Bush a, a whip. They had Bush had no strategic vision. And let me tell you, in the height of the Berlin Wall falling, and Gorbachev trying to deal with Perestroika and Glasnost in the Soviet Union. They were relentless in criticizing Bush. Margaret Thatcher was relentless in criticizing Bush. That Bush didn't know what he was doing. He was going to make a mistake in Europe. He was going to uh, uh, ruin uh, that whole, essentially, if you could say, opening up process in the Soviet Union. And it's and they said you've got to go give a speech at the on top of the Berlin Wall, that it fell. and You need to take credit for that. He said, you know, I'm not doing it. And he was very reserved about it, and they trashed him for most of that period of time in 1990. But what Bush was doing behind the scenes was a remarkable feat, keeping Gorbachev on track, keeping Gorbachev actually with credibility in the Soviet Union to maintain his leadership position, which was under complete duress. Yep. While at the same time unifying Germany and keeping Germany in NATO. This was amazing negotiation by Bush, Helmut Kohl, and Jim Baker personally, and they caused Gorbachev to blink. Because the official Soviet Union position was, well, Germany could unify, but they would be a member of the Warsaw Pact and NATO somehow. Of course that makes no sense now. But Bush's triumph there was significant. I rank it ahead of his military operation to eject Saddam Hussein out of Kuwait. I think that was a major military and diplomatic and financial accomplishment. Well, something. I really think the unification of Germany with Kuwait. Uh, Bush's careful stewardship there was his, his greatest uh, foreign policy accomplishment. No, nobody else had done that. They had plenty. By, by the way, Congressman, it's Michael Shipp. I had lunch hey, at I. David's today, which ironically is the last place I saw you right before the
1: election. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Here's the thing, Congressman, that was really interesting today. Here's the day that everybody's eulog- eulogizing former President Bush. And uh, what you just talked about as the Soviet Union was coming unraveled and would have been easy to kind of grind down even more so, President Bush decided not to do that, to his credit, so that uh, you didn't have some kind of big power vacuum or something occur. And you got Putin trying to break up the, tr- the, the big treaty now that the United States has uh, on nuclear weapons. That guy just gets under my skin something terrible.
2: Yeah, well, Putin is a result of the dysfunction in the in Russia in the 1990s. But um, they had a shot at doing things in the right way after the Berlin Wall fell, and it was opportunity lost. We can do a whole another show on that, but it created the conditions precedent that has has returned Russia essentially to a dictatorship under under Putin. And you're right; he considers the fall of the Soviet Union the you know the worst. Uh, crisis that the Soviet Union ever faced and is trying to put the band back together through his aggressive uh, unilateral actions, which is why we need a strong NATO, which is why President Trump has encouraged the 28 members of NATO to step up their contributions to the alliance and, and why he's criticized buying, you know, energy from Russia or being, I'll put it this way, being uh, dependent on energy from Russia Of mm-hmm. when we have created through LNG, liquefied natural gas, and oil exports, the now ability for Europe to be independent or have a second source of supply from either Russia or the Middle East.
1: Let me ask you a question. Well, I want to move away from President Bush for a moment because there's some big things going down in Washington right now. Of course, power is going to change in the House. How is that affecting you, first of all, and and affecting – You know, the the Republican Party on the House side, it's not like it was done with a bunch of seats. It only took a few, but it was enough to give all the chairmanships to them.
2: Right. Well, uh, Mrs. Pelosi, as I've talked about for months, Mrs. Pelosi won the battle inside the Democratic Party to be the House leader. That was never in doubt from my point of view. She will lead uh, the Democrats, uh, and she will be, in my opinion, uh, with Democratic votes only, elected Speaker of the House on uh, the first week of, of January. She has selected her committee chairs now, and for me personally, I find it sad uh, that I serve on the House Financial Services Committee that deals with monetary policy, trade, sanctions, terror finance, and regulation of our stock and bond markets and our banks, and I have to have Maxine Waters as the chairman of that
1: committee. Unbelievable! Yeah,
2: it's unbelievable, but I mean, it's the reality, and uh, my job is to continue to speak out for free market capitalism, economic growth, balanced uh, regulations that have a cost benefit associated with them, and I'll continue to do that in the face of that kind of potentially, uh, you know, hostile committee chairmanship. So, Mrs. Pelosi has to now work with President Trump. And I look forward to seeing that show. I think it'll be. I think uh, it will produce a tremendous amount of talk radio material.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I I think Waters is going to even create a lot of uh, of that as well. Not mentioning some of the other people that are going in as some of these chairmanships. Do you think two years they control the House and uh, because of what they do in the House, possibly? Uh, destroying their own party in the process?
2: Well, I do think it's going to be very interesting politics to watch this new Democratic conference in the House function. Uh, they have a very, very liberal, progressive set of new uh, members of Congress that have joined the Pelosi conference, and how she navigates that and and, and prioritizes uh, the conference agenda. She's a master of that, Dave, but I mean, I still think that will be somewhat problematic. You have some rather radical members that are coming to Congress in that side of the aisle. Um, But the work I think of the Republicans will be thinking through the races that were lost this year uh, and the races where we had retirements. The main reason that I believe that the Republicans uh, lost the House or had a higher probability of losing the House this year despite a good economy, was the fact that we had 39 retirements. That was the most and ever, wasn't it? it? I don't know that it was the most ever. I did look at some st- statistics. I think there have been some right up there with it, but it is a multi-decade high number. Um, and we had some redistricting where we, we lost some seats in Pennsylvania. And if you look at the, the Democratic won seats, you know there were quite a number in Trump won districts. And then there were, of course, a number one in Mrs. Clinton districts. Uh, So it just was not a clear-cut signal when you look at how these House seats tipped blue. And therefore, I credit it to A, the retirements, and B, the fact that the Democrats spent $951 million uh, in this uh, mid-cycle which was 50 percent more than all republican spending it was just amazing and so they had a remarkable spending and turnout machine all right Um, they can throw all the money they wanted to mrs waters but if if i've got to put my money on someone to outsmart her in a committee uh, i think we got the right guy there yeah
1: i agree with that well we're going to be you
2: know, happily, we're, I'm a happy warrior. You know me. You've gotten to know me over the last five years. I'm a happy warrior. I'm going to be speaking out for free market capitalism, uh, the ability for the American people to have their liberties protected, and we're going to go on down the road and see what, what direction she wants to go. And I think uh, the the leader Pelosi's challenge is ranking these things. Does she want to work with Trump on things that Trump says he's interested in, like border security, immigration, infrastructure? fixing the broken aspects of uh, the Affordable Care Act, uh, prescription drug costs, uh, maybe compromise on infrastructure. and does she want to go off the rails into the progressive set of policy pronouncements from her more left-oriented members? That will be what's interesting in the first few weeks of
1: 2019, I think. Well, I've I sure. got, got to get another break in, but before I do, let me start broaching another subject I want to talk to you about. The GM for GMC uh, was on Capitol Hill today and uh, answering questions to several people. Uh, Ohio senators were were meeting with her and things of that nature. I, is this a good thing? I mean, I, so you've you got a company that has decided that electric cars – Pickups and SUVs are looking to be the future, and we 're going to stop some making some different cars. Uh, how much does a government have the right to get involved into a particular company 's decision making?
2: Well, uh, in short, depending on when your break is i 'm not a fan i wasn 't a fan of the Bush and Obama administration's uh, trying to preempt bondholder rights back during the financial crisis. Uh, Mm -hmm. I don't think that was good policy. And, uh, you know, you and I don't, we're not experts about General Motors. We don't serve on the board of directors. We don't have all the information about that company. But typically, when you go through a crisis like the American automobile industry has done over the past 50 years, and you have this situation in 08 and 09 at GM, where GM is uh, helped by the federal government, uh, I think they should have taken some of these tough uh, decisions then, in the face of that, mm-hmm. and work over the last decade to building a more competitive enterprise. Because effectively, that's what they're saying is we have a product line—the Chevy Cruze or two or three other products that just aren't competitive anymore. Well, didn't weren't they were they competitive in two two thousand and ten, and they're not now? That's that's the kind of private sector uh, reasoning that that's what boards of directors are for and that's what hiring a good CEO is for. I don't think it's the government's job to be engaged in that. Um, But the government's deeply involved and, you know, more involved in business than you and I would like when it comes to, we could talk about tariffs labor issues, you know, the list goes on and on. So uh, it's not just involved in business, it's involved in the mismanagement of the businesses of the yeah, industry. But I mean, I, I guess what I'm saying as a former business person, I think mm. that taking that kind of structural decision, a great time to have done that would have been as they were recovering out of the crisis yes. and taking stock of what models are selling, what aren't, what are popular with the American people and what aren't. And But I, I do think that's their job. I believe they should constantly be reassessing that. And they shouldn't be criticized for recognizing that they have a product that the that isn't being sold, and that they want to have a better product. So that's that's where I take the more market oriented approach there, compared to complaining by either Republicans uh, or Democrats in that regard.
1: Yeah, well, let me tell you what uh, the Republican and the Democrat from Ohio were both singing out of the same choir book today. Yeah it was it was really amazing to listen to those guys talk i i was i i'm i'm stunned i understand the american public might feel like they owe the government because the government shovelled so much money to them but uh, the government shoulda shouldn't have shovelled the money to them and the government shouldn't be getting involved in these decisions either Either way, they should just. I I look at it as staying out of it. So, what's the big thing that we should be watching through the rest of this lame duck uh, session, or any is there anything big on the on the horizon that we yeah, should be aware you know, of? This is
2: well. We had good news earlier in the year when we completed funding, really seventy percent plus of the federal government on time uh, before September 30th, signed into law by President Trump, including something you and I have talked a lot about our defense uh, priorities. So that's the good news. The bad news is we do have a portion of the funding that is not complete as we end the year, and we have a choice. We can either pass a bill, a permanent bill that funds that till uh, September 30 next year, or we could issue some sort of a continuing resolution for that part of the government. And it includes, guess what, the Department of Homeland Security. Mm-hmm. So this is why President Trump is saying, look, you all have done a good job this year getting the base funding for our national security and from some of our other priorities like mental health and opioids. Good work. I want to continue to make progress on our southwest border security. And I've offered compromise after compromise to you guys and gals on how to do this. I want it. And once again, it's so far this month, it's been Trump versus Chuck Schumer, the minority leader in the Senate, saying, well, I'm not going to negotiate on that. So we're back where we were really in February on this topic of homeland security. So I would say to the listeners, between now and Christmas, uh, what can we get in the form of southwest border funding that we want? And I think President Trump has been quite forceful on that. He has all of us supporting that cause here in the House to encourage that. So that's point one. Point two is we need to get the agriculture bill through the House and Senate uh, conference and get that voted on. And uh, I would say those are two. There are many other priorities between now and December, but those are two sort of must-haves. Those are big enough, aren't they? (laughs) And they're big ones, and they're big and important for for Arkansas. And I hope President Trump can convince Leader Pelosi uh, that this work would be better done now and get a good funding bill for southwest border security between now and September instead of putting that onto her watch as she becomes. The Absolutely. The House.
1: All right, Congressman, i got to let you go. Appreciate Thanks. it. Have Thanks a great uh, Christmas season. We will talk to you right down the line. Say hello to Miss Martha. And there is, of course, uh, Congressman uh, French Hill. We'll be back in a moment